Hey everyone, this is the Everyday Leader Podcast where we hear from inspiring individuals building and leading teams across Africa. Today I speak with Wiza Jalakazi. Wiza is an international business development expert specializing in the setup and operations of high performance technology startups across Africa and often shares moments from his journey on the Twitter at WizaJ. His career experience spans 11 years in 16 African countries, founding and building tech startups across industry verticals in the B2B and B2C space. Wiza holds an honors degree in information systems technology from the United States International University, Africa, and is currently VP of Global Developer Relations at Chipper Cash, a cross-border mobile money service with over 5 million users. He is a venture partner at two early stage funds, RallyCat Ventures and Sherpa Africa Partners. He also scouts for two Africa-focused early stage venture funds, Ventures Platform and Microtraction. I had the privilege of meeting Wiza in person many years ago in Malawi, and I'm very excited to catch up with him today. Welcome, Wiza, to the show. Really happy to have you here and really excited to hear uh, some of your stories. You've done so much already uh, so early in your career. Not much, actually, you haven't done. So uh, mm-hmm. excited to dive into some of the experiences you've had across the continent. I know you're calling now from San Francisco, so you're you're truly global. Uh, welcome. Thank you so much, Chris. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. I always see value in sharing stories. I've seen how instrumental that has been in my own career, and it gives me a great pleasure to have the opportunity to share the little that I know uh, with your audience as well. I do want to speak uh, to you about your current work at Chipper, but before we dive into that, I want to take us back a little bit and understand your, say, leadership origin story. Uh, you've been a founder for a lot of different companies. You've helped you've helped companies expand it to new countries, but where did it all begin? Where did you learn your leadership lessons early on? I think it's difficult for me to point pinpoint a specific moment in time uh, where this began. Uh, but I've always just like sort of been very like curious about what is possible to build with technology from a very young age. So you know, both of my parents um, are entrepreneurs, and my dad used to buy and sell computers uh, from South Africa, importing them into Malawi, and I would help them. I would help him set them up. Uh, for them to be resold, um, and that sort of like just sparked my curiosity around you know business and creating things and you know building from scratch. Um, and you know after um, several years of doing that, you know when I was when I was a teenager, I got the chance to try to build something on my own um, with the support of my parents. Uh, I always call them my earliest backers. Um, and yeah, that, that sort of like really gave me, uh, a strong starting point to be able to, uh, experiment, uh, very, very rapidly across a number of sectors in university, um, try to build out something, uh, a market research startup with my classmates. Um, and yeah, that, that, that sort of like curiosity, I guess, naturally led me to, uh, to try things, but I didn't even realize at the time that I, I was developing um, a skill set that would be useful uh, in a commercial context um, for leadership. Um, and I guess you know, that's sort of the beauty of some of these things. Yeah, you seem very much uh, as a builder. You, you built a lot of products early on. You said you were exposed to uh, technology from your parents and you kind of really fascinated in terms of what you can uh, bring to market. And, and you were 
based in, in Malawi, where, where you're from for some time. How did you then use this experience of building product to then become a leader of others, right? Because in, in the, the roles that you took on over time, it, it started to involve needing to work through others. So how did you kind of handle that transition? Yeah, so that, that was actually an interesting journey for me because like, you know, um, I went from being uh, self-employed to being employed. And I didn't. And at, at first, I was uh, really worried that that would entail a a loss of autonomy uh, and personal freedom uh, in some regards. Uh, but it ended up being like a, a pretty interesting experience because for the first time, um, I had to not only uh, work for other people, but I had other people um, essentially working under me, uh, which was not like the case with my previous uh, ventures. And um, I think like one of the things that like really struck out was just uh, a need for empathy um, as we engage uh, with people in general. Um, I had a very specific worldview that was like very centered around my understanding of like the actual technical elements that make up a product. Uh, but, you know, the more conversations that you have, you start to have with um, people who are experts in other fields and it sort of starts to show you how um, there are many different moving parts that make up like a successful business venture, especially one that's at scale. So, you know, all the time that I was doing uh, my own thing, um, the scale is very limited. Usually within Malawi, a team of myself and maybe at most one or two other people. Uh, but then all of a sudden, like I was thrown into this very large, much larger organization of almost 30 people and being asked to lead um, on a number of initiatives across different countries, you know, um, involving several other people uh, at a very high level. And, you know, I, I, it, it really was quite like challenging at first because uh, I was used to, you know, keeping my thoughts uh, isolated in a silo and just like executing in a direction that I thought makes sense to me. But I then quickly had to learn how to share um, and, I think at the core of certain types of leadership is sharing um, and the the vulnerability that comes with that. <laughs> um, that was like quite interesting to experience. So just like sharing what I thought and felt about um, things that we could try to do and how others um, thought and felt about those things and just bringing those opinions um, into the same space in a manner which is constructive um, and having that feel like a very organic and natural process. Um, I think like, you know, getting there has been a function of me iterating and trying through different things in terms of like leadership and management styles. And, and I found that like leading with empathy, um, it's very hard to go wrong with that approach. That's so true that that process of needing to spend extra time and effort to uh, open up to share to align with team members uh, definitely has kind of a learning curve and it also you know seems like a extra burden but uh, that's just in the short term and then over time you know the the results and the impact uh, are, are well worth it and so do you, do you have an example of, of the time when you were kind of stepping into these leadership roles and, and the types of sharing that that you had to do to make that work yeah, you know, like uh, one one distinct example that you know always plays out in my mind was um, when I was at a firm called Africa's Talking, uh, building out telecommunications infrastructure uh, for developers uh, across the African continent. 
Um, and I was tasked with leading out our international expansion, um, growing from six countries to almost 20 countries. Um, and I had to put together a team uh, of managers who would then manage the uh, individual folks that we had in countries um, in line with like our strategic uh, objectives. So, you know, um, I was fairly certain that I knew a lot about like, you know, the, the product structure and what sort of like um, requirements might uh, be needed uh, for certain countries, you know, especially the ones I was most familiar with, Malawi, uh, Zambia, Tanzania, etc. cetera. Uh, but you quickly realize that like the continent is a very big place and, you know, we're, we're trying to do some stuff uh, in Francophone uh, Africa, in, in Ethiopia, and in a number of markets that were like extremely unfamiliar uh, for me. So um, I remember like thinking through how to structure this team uh, and quickly realizing that like, you know, number one, I don't speak a word of French. <laughs> so this is, it's not gonna be possible for me to like even go to a country like Cote d'Ivoire or Senegal and, and be able to like do anything uh, productive remotely. Can you just like imagine, you know, you're, you're probably sitting in Mauritius right now. Um, somebody walks into your office and they're speaking French. They don't speak a word of English. <laughs> How do you engage with them? How do you do business? Um, there was just like a lot of uh, facing reality about my own uh, weaknesses as an individual. Uh, as an individual, um, that was like uh, an unfamiliar process, but like it really uh, empowered me to be able to do so because then I was able to to structure. Um, the right sort of team around me, um, and which made it much, much easier to know what to look for uh, when I was hiring. Um, so I ended up hiring a, a small team of uh, three uh, business executives um, uh, who had a vast uh, array of experiential areas that like, I had no clue, uh, I was not informed about in, in any uh, sort of meaningful way. And together we were able to um, achieve that goal of scaling from uh, six to 18 countries in just under uh, a year and a half, uh, which is extremely exciting. Um, but again, like just that, that, that process of really understanding, okay, where am I strong as a leader and where am I weak? And just creating a platform for others to be able to lead in the areas where uh, I cannot and being uh, dispassionate about that. And that was definitely like a journey um, and it involved a lot of like lesson sharing uh, on both sides. So, you know, uh, I had uh, these people thinking that like I would be guiding them, <laughs> but they ended up like really guiding me uh, a lot through uh, all of the various processes. And I found myself learning a lot uh, as a result. So, um, it's cliche, but people say like, you know, one of the best ways to lead is, is, is from behind, from the back. And I, I think that um, that really resonates quite strongly uh, with me today when I look back at that experience. Well, I do know what you mean about being uh, dropping down into a Francophone African country and not knowing French. <laughs> I had yeah. a similar experience in Gabon uh, during a fellowship program I did there. And you definitely learn quick if you want to be able to get a taxi or order something at the restaurant. Um, and it, it was no better way of learning than kind of being thrust into that position. And the same applies as you as you were describing to to leadership and managing others. You know, you just you hire people and you learn and you make mistakes. And it, it sounds like you uh, quickly uh, picked up on your ability to 
uh, quote unquote lead from behind and follow the the lead and expertise of the people that you brought on. I'm curious uh, how you then moved on from Africa's Talking to to Hover and then uh, eventually to Chipper Cash. How how did you make decisions to move on to other leadership roles? Because I know it can be tough when you are in a position, uh, like a manager position where you're overseeing other people, the decision to uh, transition can be a bit harder than if you're just an individual contributor where it might be easier to uh, pass on your work to someone else. Uh, can you talk me through that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was that. That was like actually pretty emotional for me because um, I left Africa talking, um, you know, just less, less than the year after we had set up all of these different operations in new countries. So it was difficult to not feel as though uh, I was betraying my team uh, in some way, <laughs> but like, you know, bringing them to this place and saying, guys, we're going to do this. And then like all of a sudden I'm saying that I want to do something else. Uh, that definitely was a strong feeling uh, and sentiment at the time internally. Um, but like for me as an individual, I think like um, the rate of, uh, I like to measure my growth through the rate of new mistakes that I'm making. And uh, it was getting to a point where uh, I felt like I wasn't making enough new mistakes um, because simply the, um, a lot of my attention was, was focused on um, working with this team that I put around me to ensure that they're able to meet their objectives. So there's the, the chaos that I had come to appreciate and love about my work uh, at Africa Stalking was simply uh, moving in a different direction, and that was challenging for me to uh, to accept. Uh, at the same time, you know, the role uh, at Hover presented itself, um, and I think like timing is really important. Uh, I had been following their progress for some time. They were trying to build, and are still trying to build out um, what I can only describe as a maybe bleeding edge um, technology solution for developers, technically. Um, and, you know, there's something that's really exciting for me uh, about experimenting um, at that edge. So the, the intellectual curiosity uh, was a very big driver uh, on my side. And then also just like timing to try something new, I think, was a, was a very big driver. So the combination of those two things uh, really made it such that... Um, um, I thought it would be appropriate. It would be the appropriate career move for me. Now, what what I think I got right was um, managing the transition gracefully. Um, so I gave my team enough advance notice and um, enough of a handover plan uh, in order to enable them to have like you know, the best possible chance um, at success without me. Uh, managing that really helped a ton. Um, and then also just like managing expectations on the hover side um, in a very transparent way uh, and requesting for the uh, ability to to sometimes be accessible uh, even post-departure to members of my team um, if they uh, might have any like specific needs of me that, that I can like, you know, work on in an hour or two. So I'm I'm grateful that you know throughout my entire career I've had also very empathetic leaders and employers uh, who have been able to to give me the ability to manage my transitions uh, in a very graceful way. 
Um, but yeah, you know, the biggest thing is always like, how do you reconcile this feeling of like, you know, wanting to grow and as an individual, but also like not wanting to feel as though you've let people down. I think that's like a, a never ending tension uh, that has to be to be balanced and, and managed internally. And if you put in place the right tooling uh, for your team as you transition out, then uh, it's usually pretty, pretty elegant and not disruptive. That's so true. And um, I think another point to add is uh, it sounds like you were very uh, self-aware of where you were at and where you wanted to be. Uh, and I think a lot of people are not as proactive and they end up being in roles for too long. Uh, they should have transitioned earlier, uh, not just for themselves, but for their team. Um, so that that's really striking that you were able to uh, make these moves, uh, like you said, in, in a gracious way, obviously, uh, with accommodating kind of team members who are able to uh, make that transition uh, also happen from their side. Uh, one thing I've also really been impressed by what you've done uh, with your career is while you have moved to different companies, you've also built out your own kind of personal brand and you've been able to almost detach your thought leadership and other roles that you've uh, taken on, such as your involvement with the Flip Africa podcast and your venture scouting and, and partner with uh, RallyCap. So I'm curious, uh, was this something that you intentionally sought out to do uh, in terms of your thought leadership and, and personal branding, or is it something that just happened naturally? I think definitely it, it, it was not by design. <laughs> I think it was just like a very fortuitous uh, sequence of events. So um, from a young age, I've always sort of like been vocal and uh, I found that like um, expressing myself on the internet was a very interesting, like, you know, creative and cathartic release for me. So I started blogging about like, you know, my personal life uh, and on posting on social media uh, when I was a teen. Um, and I just transferred that skill set to my professional life, you know, post-graduation. I started like just writing about the industry and about my own experiences. Um, and I think like just with the timing of everything that was taking place in the space and the lack of stories, um, my story was able to like stand out. So I, I was able to get quite a lot of uh, exposure uh, globally from my writing. And that has been like a very uh, strong pillar on which I've been able to build uh, a personal brand around. Um, I, I also have been, and, and I can't overstate the role that timing plays in all of this. Like, I think I was just lucky to have found the right tools at the right time. Um, I'm also pretty uh, uh, intentional about my Twitter profile, where you know I post a lot of things uh, on my about my day-to-day -day life and like my uh, interactions with uh, the finance industry. And like it's actually through Twitter that I got the job at Hover and my current job at uh, Chippecast. Um, just like by engaging with the founders and having a, a point of view about various things um, in the technology space and broadcasting that point of view um, uh, through social media, that has been absolutely critical in um, positioning myself in this way. 
but I certainly wouldn't like, you know, describe it as being by design uh, with the intention of like having a brand. I, I just really do have a point of view on many things and uh, I'm not afraid to share it. Uh, I do encourage others to get into writing, especially, um, you know, short form posts on LinkedIn or longer things that you, you put as, as a personal, as a blog uh, on various platforms. Um, you don't. You might not see the impact immediately, but over time, people start to um, view your pieces as a reference point, um, and that can really go a long way. Like I have articles that I have written from uh, as early as 2014, 2016, that people today in 2021 reach out to me and say, like, "Hey, I read this thing that you wrote six years ago, and I found it pretty useful. So, can we engage in this way?" Um, so, you know. Uh, I think that that stuff really helps a ton. And I encourage those who can do it to do it as much as they reasonably can. Well, well, I've heard of people connecting with investors over Twitter, but I hadn't heard that people also get job offers over Twitter. So uh, you're you're really on the, the bleeding edge there. I want to fast forward to now your role at Chipper Cash. I know you've been there just under a year. Can you tell us a little bit more about what Chipper Cash does and then uh, what your role is day to day? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Chipper is a mobile money platform um, that's designed for smartphone users, very similar to mobile money platforms that others might be familiar with, such as M-Pesa, uh, MTN Mobile Money, Airtel Money, and others. Um, we enable about 5 million people uh, all over the world, mostly in African countries, to be able to send money to each other. Uh, without paying fees for transactions and to be able to access various types of value-added services um, such as airtime, bill payments, uh, fractional stocks, uh, investments, uh, and other uh, digital financial services. So, you know, it's a, it's a young company about three, three and a half years old, uh, founded by two, two individuals from uh, Uganda and Ghana, respectively. Um, and yeah, it's, it's it's a pretty exciting time for us at Chipper. We, uh, we're we building out, we're trying to build out a continental mobile money platform um, that is designed for the modern internet consumer. Um, and it's just really, really exciting for me to be working with um, a company that's doing this, that's led by, you know, African native founders. Um, who understand the friction of the problem and you know how how big it actually is. Less than one percent of Africa's GDP uh, today is transacted digitally, and you know over ninety five percent of uh, retail transactions are still in cash. So you know it's obviously like a very massive opportunity, and you know someone has to do this work anyway. So um, I think we have a very very uh, credible chance uh, at building something out. Uh, we have 170 full-time uh, folks working with us on this and uh, cumulatively have raised about $155 million from uh, some of the best venture capital investors in the world for financial services, such as Rubik Capital, Odessians Capital, as well as being the only uh, African portfolio company of uh, Bezos Expeditions, the personal venture capital fund of American billionaire uh, Jeff Bezos. So, you know, we feel extremely privileged to have this opportunity and to be able to uh, have the chance to build this out in this way. And yeah, I'm super, super excited about that. Um, I'm responsible for specifically a product known as the Network API. So this is our offering to small businesses uh, and merchants who want to uh, have a technical integration with us to be able to collect money from the uh, 5 million plus cheaper users that we have on the platform today. 
So that actually just like was made uh, public a couple of weeks ago. I've been working on it uh, for most of the year and building out a pipeline. So uh, now it's crunch time and we're just trying to close out these these leads and get those integrations live and see what happens next year. Wow, that's uh, an incredible vision and, and obviously the, the progress as well from the team in terms of uh, your initial 5 million customers and obviously the investors are also um, quite impressive. In terms of the the projects that you work on, uh, can you tell me a little bit more about how you uh, essentially work with other people? You, you mentioned you have 170 people on the Chipper Cash uh, team. I imagine it's it's remote and, and global in nature. Um, can you tell me more about how you engage your team and, and how that's maybe different from past work and past teams that you've managed? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, Chipper is a remote native org and Hover was also like that. So I I, I, I actually drew from a lot of the experiences that uh, I get, I got at Hover. Um, I think Hover was, was a small team, but we we're extremely disciplined uh, in terms of how we communicate uh, asynchronously, especially because the time difference between, you know, San Francisco and Nairobi, it's like a 10 hour uh, time difference um we, we had to build that muscle with regards to communication discipline and what that looks like in practice is um you write out your thoughts a lot more since you can't like uh you know go, go over to your colleagues work desk and chat to them about what's in your mind and you you start to get very intentional about how uh, and what you're writing to be able to try and convey the fundamental idea uh, in the num least number of words possible. Um, there's tools like Loom that let you like record screencasts uh, of yourself um, walking through a presentation or some other uh, document or anything else really, and then you can share that with your teammates uh, to review and share their views uh, completely asynchronously. Um, and you know, Slack is also really great for the, that real-time chat and coordination uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and you know, it's definitely been weird. It's funny, like I Ham, uh, my my CEO at Chipper, I met him for the first time uh, two weeks ago uh, after working for him for like nine months. Is when I'm meeting him for the first time. It's it's a very strange world that we live in today. Um, and having that discipline and understanding of the tooling uh, makes a very big difference. I don't think that there's at all anything that even comes close to uh, a replacement for the fidelity uh, with which face-to-face -face, uh, conversation uh, brings to communication. Uh, I don't think there's anything that's even close, and I don't think we should try to replace that experience, but we can augment it. Um, with some of these uh, tools and disciplines. But I think like ultimately the world is going to go back into like some sort of hybrid remote office structure uh, because people are like social beings and uh, we need to see each other uh, in order to do some of our best work in my view. So that, that's definitely been challenging. Um, at Chipper, we, we, we've also been extremely disciplined about documentation and writing. Uh, we structure a lot of the companies uh living brain uh in a tool called notion which which really allows you to uh put together different types of information and organize it in a way that it's easy for somebody to organically discover uh what they need to know uh when they need to know it 
so you know those are the things that have contributed um we we also do have like virtual happy hours and, and everything else that everyone's been doing uh throughout the pandemic but you know it's not the same so uh, i'm sure pretty soon we will probably have like a company all hands uh in 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 a country that's easily accessible for our you know 15 plus nationalities to get together in and um have a conversation in person uh that's there's nothing that can ever replace that and it 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 makes remote work so much easier when you put a face uh to you know the slack username or or or, or, or the email address that you're usually interacting with um yeah those those are my high level thoughts on that now i'm curious you you start out as a builder and then you you know, took on some different team leadership roles. Uh, and at Chipper now, how would you say uh, the the split between kind of individual like execution versus managing through others is now? And then, you know, how is that playing out in terms of your own career journey? Like, are you uh, imagining uh, becoming even more of a high-level leader, or is a part of you still wanting to kind of uh, build things on your own and, and get uh, involved that way? Because I've seen lots of different founders go through this kind of roller coaster of, okay, no, I want to scale something. No, I want to continue to build it. So how do you how do you balance that in your own role? Yeah, you know, um, but I just look at what needs to be done. Um, and, and what now what needs to be done at Chipper is, is, is mostly work that uh, I have to do as an individual. Um, as the product scales out, I'll probably build out like a more uh, robust team around that. So, you know, that, that'll be a function of when the time comes. Uh, but like personally, I think, I think it's important for every person who wants to do things at scale, um, you need to build that managerial muscle, which is what I want to invest in now because there's only so much that you can do alone uh, and there's so much more that we can do uh, together as people. Um, and there's just no escaping that. So, you know, previously I used to think that um, having to work too closely with others might sort of uh, quote unquote taint my creative vision. Um, but now I, I think that was just like from a, a place of immaturity and some insecurities about, um, you know, not knowing certain things. But it's been very freeing to just realize that you don't actually need to be good at everything. <laughs> you need to be, you need to know what you are good at um, and ask for help from uh, other people uh, who might be better at the things that you're not good at. And, and there's like no shame uh, in that. And that, that has been a very interesting lesson to learn because I feel oftentimes um, a lot of the rhetoric that is there around what it means to be a founder means that you have to have all of the answers and be able to lead in all of the different ways. Uh, but that, that just isn't true in my experience. So, you know, that's sort of been like eye opening and it gives me a lot of breathing room to just like figure out how to be better with people and to be a better manager who enables um, their team to be able to, to grow and execute to the best of their ability. Um, and that's everyone that I've seen that who has done uh, absolutely extraordinary things globally. Uh, they don't have uh, they're not they're not doing it alone. So that is uh, that is my my philosophy now, and I'm investing heavily in being a better um, better manager. Amazing. Um, as we wrap, I'm just curious. You uh, mentioned earlier that you know. 
a lot of your success and a lot of your opportunities have been really a function of great timing. Uh, but you also have this passion and interest in being on the bleeding edge of things. So, you know, what what types of trends are you seeing? What what is bleeding edge right now uh, that maybe is being overlooked um, in in the market? Whether that's in you know, fintech uh, where you're at now, or whether it's just the broader um, African uh, market or or the future of work. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know. I'm obviously biased because of the type of information that I'm exposed to, but I think there's a, a huge, uh, massive opportunity in the crypto economy that people quite haven't understood the significance of yet. Um, so, you know, people who are going to be building out the products and the infrastructure rails that will enable people, uh, other people in emerging markets to be able to interface with the cryptocurrency economy. That's like, probably the next big opportunity of the next uh, five five to 10 years. And then uh, on top of that, like an, an underlying theme around like blockchain um, and how that evolves outside of the cryptocurrency use case, I think that's going to be very exciting. So, you know, um, what people are describing as Web3 um, is, 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 is probably the largest paradigm shift um, since the invention of the internet itself. And, um, you know, the internet still hasn't finished changing our lives uh, in, in its original uh, iteration. So I, I can't imagine what that's going to look like 10, 20 years uh, down the line from now. I think also just like people who prepare very well for um, this new work environment that we are entering. I think what the, what the pandemic did was exposed to a lot of large organizations that they don't actually need to have people in the office full time and remote work in the pandemic is not the same as like what remote work uh, in a normal setting uh, might be so you know people people have had a lot of free time but they're stuck in homes because of the various curfews and lockdowns that we still see uh, in some parts of the world but i think when the world opens up again uh, which is just a matter of time um people are going to want to have more autonomy over their time to be able to do more things that matter to them to be able to you know take better care of their health to be able to spend more time with their loved ones and uh companies that don't adapt to that new reality uh i think they are going to uh end up really struggling to attract the best uh, of the best in terms of talent that's available uh globally um, so those are two themes that I think like stand out uh, as uh, being very early and having the uh, being a, a very large opportunity for those who are willing to invest upfront uh, into understanding uh, these two paradigm shifts and what sort of solutions need to be built uh, to take advantage of the new reality. Thanks, Wiza, for, for these insights and for your time today. Um, really impressed with you know the the companies that you've been working with, the products that those companies are creating, how you've been really intentional about uh, pursuing some of these new technologies. You know, I, I have a Coinbase account, but uh, I don't know as enough about the Web3 uh, infrastructure as you do. And so I imagine I'll be seeing uh, even more future blog posts and, and information coming from from you in the future. So thank you for you know, opening yourself up, not just during this call, but 
through all of your different uh, channels and kind of putting so much of your knowledge and learnings out there for people to to consume. So um, thanks again and looking forward to following your journey. Sure, it's an absolute pleasure, Chris. Thank you for having me here. And yeah, uh, let's stay in touch. If folks want to reach out to me about anything, best place to reach me is on Twitter at uh, WeezaJ. Okay, enjoy the rest of your time out in the Bay Area. Thank you very much and have a great rest of your day too. You too, bye. Bye.